The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about eight miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 10 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. The message today is taken from John chapter 19 and verse 30, where Jesus cries out from the cross, It is finished. Often when we say that somebody's finished, we mean they're done for. That's not what Jesus meant. Jesus wasn't done for. Jesus had done all that was necessary to complete the Father's work. He had finished the job. Join us today for the first half of this sermon, entitled, It is Finished. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Here the dying 
like for you to turn for our text this morning to 19th chapter of the book of John. This verse has been on my mind a lot over the past week or so. When tragedies come into our lives and we see troubles all around us, um, you know, where can we flee? Where can we go? I remember when dear brother Oliver Junkin's son died, Carmen, several years ago, uh, when I had the duty to go tell him about it. Um, you know, I didn't, you don't ever know how people are going to react or where they're going to go, but uh, uh, of course he shed some tears, but the first place he went was to the doctrines of grace, the grace of God. He said, all that the Father come, giveth to me shall come unto me, and him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. You see, where he was headed was the, the surety and assurance of eternal redemption. And that's where I want us to go this morning because there's a statement found in John chapter 19 as Jesus is hanging there on the cross. In verse 30, we're told that when he had therefore received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, I want to take this statement of Christ from a little different angle this morning because sometimes when we say something's finished or somebody's finished, what we mean by that is he's done for. It's over for him. You know, so-and-so has, you know, if, if, a, if, a, if a football team has gone to the, to the playoffs and, and they lose in the playoffs, then we say, well, they're finished. They've lost. And, and many in that day believed that Jesus Christ was finished in that sense. As a matter of fact, you can maybe keep your finger there, but we're not going to really spend much time in the book of John. But back over in the, the book of Matthew, the 27th chapter, we're going to take some verses from this, from this uh, chapter and look at them uh, this morning, if the Lord will help us, to see there were many in Jesus' day that believed that he was finished, that he was done for. Because look what happened in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 33. Let's put ourselves there as observers as to what's going on on this dark day. Verse 33, when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, that's a bad place already. That's not a very pleasing portrait that we're painting already. This is Golgotha. This is not Disney World. This is a place that's a bad place. Golgotha is a place of a skull. And notice what they did. They gave him, and they're talking about Jesus here, vinegar to drink, mixed with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots. Now, I like action movies, and I know you do too, or many of you do. My wife doesn't, but most of you do. My wife likes Hallmark movies. I secretly like Hallmark movies too, but I really like action movies. <clears throat> but we don't like an action movie to end with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, getting killed, do we? What we like in an action movie is we like for it to look like he's going to be killed, for it to look like he's done for, but at the last minute he pulls a trick out of the hat and he 
he gets delivered. That's what we like, right? We don't like, you know, the Marvel movies that have been such blockbusters weren't made on the premise, well, everybody dies in the end. <laughs> That's not the way they ended, right? Uh, so we don't like those kinds of endings, but from the standpoint of if you and I were there at Golgotha's Hill on that day, and we looked up on that hill and we saw this man Jesus being nailed to the cross, we would be thinking in our minds, he is finished. He's done for. Because the circumstances here indicated that he was finished. Notice they parted his garments in verse 36 and sitting down they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now that wasn't a honorific. That wasn't a title they gave him to honor him. That was an accusation. So everybody that came knew that the reason this man was there is because he claimed to be King of the Jews. He was there for treason because in the Roman Empire, you could not claim to be the ultimate authority. Caesar was the ultimate authority. And he was there accused of blasphemy, accused of claiming something that he could not back up. And notice that what happened, that there were some passers-by. Verse, well, verse 38 tells us something very important that we'll come back to in a moment. It says, Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. Now, before we're going to come back to that in a moment. But first of all, understand that this man Jesus was not put in a place of honor. He was not separated from the crowd and said, well, we know he's worthy of death, but he's kind of special. No, they lumped him right in there with the rest of the criminals. Two thieves were told by Luke they were malefactors. That means more than pickpockets. That means they were violent, wicked men. We're told elsewhere in the scriptures that he would be uh, numbered with the transgressors. And boy, was he numbered with the transgressors. He was put in a place of dishonor. He, is, he was accused of lies and treason. And notice in verse 39, it says, There were some passers-by there. They that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. Notice that they that saw it, the ones that didn't have anything to do with his crucifixion, they were just passing by. They just happened to be in Jerusalem that day and they're walking, happened to be walking by the place where they're crucifying him and they look up there to him and they just start shaking their heads, that poor guy. And they knew a little bit about him. They say, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. Their proof that he was who he claimed he was, their proof of that was that he had to come down from that cross. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now it's the height of eternal irony that the only way he really could have been the Son of God was to stay on the cross. But we'll get to that in a moment. But their proof of him being who he said he was is he had to prove it to them. He had to come down. And as they passed by, they just shook their heads and they reviled him and mocked him, and some, no doubt, had compassion on him, but they said, that poor guy, he made his brag, but he couldn't back it up. 
And then there were some others there that day. There were some chief priests and scribes and elders. You know, these are the ones that were learned in the scriptures. These are the ones that Jesus looked at in John chapter 5 and verse 39 and said, Search the scriptures. Now he's talking about the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. He said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. You know, some people I've talked to, they say, well, I don't care too much about the Old Testament. I, that's the Old Testament. I want to read about Jesus in the New Testament. Well, beloved, I want to say to you that every page of the Old Testament is testifying of Jesus in some way. You mean to tell me all those laws of the sacrifices, preacher, all those laws were testifying of Jesus? All those goats and calves and sheep that were... Listen, beloved, they were testifying to Jesus stronger than anything just about we can testify to today. Because what they were doing is they were visibly pointing them to the fact that they needed a sacrifice. And Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. You know why we don't do it anymore? Because the ultimate perfect sacrifice came a little over 2,000 years ago. But these scribes and chief priests and elders, they should have known. They were searching the scriptures. They were learned in the scriptures. But notice that it says likewise. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said he saved others. Himself he cannot save, if he be the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. Paul said later on in writing to the Corinthians that the Jews seek after a sign. He said the Greeks seek after wisdom. They were more philosophers, but the Jews were looking for a sign. They'd had the signs throughout all of their history. The prophets would come, and they would give them signs. But when Jesus came, he performed miracles. He performed signs and wonders and they would not have it. He said, show us. And notice verse 43. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I'm the son of God. Boy, that's some, that's some mockery to cast in this man's teeth. That's some, you know, there's not much compassion that I read about here. I'm sure there were some that had compassion on him, but these that were mocking him sure weren't showing compassion. They hated him so much that they wanted to kill him. In one place, I believe it's over in the book of Luke, they conspired together to take him by craft. In other words, they didn't care how they got him, if it was legal or illegal, crooked or not. It didn't matter. We're going to get him some way or another. They hated him that much. We're told that they hated him without a cause. In fact, that, that verse back over there, that series of verses back in Psalm 69 that David speaks uh, is actually pointing us to Christ. Jesus himself said that that's the fulfillment. I am the fulfillment of that verse. They hated me without a cause. Now, you've probably got people that hate you. I've got people that hate me. I've got people that I consider to be enemies. And, and, and in those cases, you know, when I think about the situation that caused them to be my enemy, I think I didn't do anything to cause that. I, I really didn't, you know, I didn't cause that. But then sometimes when I get to thinking a little bit deeper, I think to myself, well, you know, maybe I said that wrong. Well, maybe, maybe they misinterpreted what I said. Maybe I could have done that better. Maybe I could have handled that situation a little bit better. See, there's some fault to go around when it comes to me. I mean, even if I didn't really do anything in that case, you know, it's kind of like when you're going down the road and 
and the police officer pulls you over and you're really not speeding, I've decided, Brother James, I'm going to start just paying those tickets because the only reason he didn't catch me speeding is he didn't see me quick enough, see, because <laughs> I have speeded. He just happened, it just happened I wasn't at that time, you see. See, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I've got guilt to go around. But Jesus Christ, they hated him without a cause. He didn't beat anybody out of any money. He didn't run around with anybody's wife. He didn't didn't, uh, act mean or ugly to anybody. He had no, there was no reason for them to hate him. And they hated him. And they hated him so much that they wanted him to not just die, but to be crucified, which was the most awful form of execution known to man in that day. And now while he's hanging there suffering, instead of compassion, they said, he trusted in God. He made his brag. Let's see what happens now. That's these chief priests and scribes and elders. Well, maybe he's going to find a little compassion from those that are being crucified with him. You know, sometimes when you, people are sort of uh, caught together and suffering the same fate, there's a camaraderie there that goes on. I've read about people who've been uh, burned at the stake together and they, they go out holding hands or they're singing together and they, there's a unity there. Maybe, maybe he's going to find some compassion from those that are crucified with him. But look at verse 44. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now this is a very important point that we don't need to forget. Because sometimes we get this idea, don't we, that there was one good thief and one bad thief? There wasn't one good thief and one bad thief. There were two bad thieves. Look, it says two thieves. Verse 38, there were two thieves. There's a reason he tells us that. He wants us to know that there wasn't one good thief on that cross and one bad thief. They were both bad thieves. They were both casting the same in his teeth. They were both cursing him and swearing at him and mocking him just like the others. And we're going to see something happen to one of them. But he didn't go on the cross good and compassionate. He went on that cross just as bad and wicked as the other thief was that was crucified with him. You know... The authorities there thought he was finished. The authorities thought he was finished. If you back up just a few verses to chapter 27 there, verse 22, you're going to see that Pilate presented Jesus to the the people and said, what shall I do with him? Because, see, there was a time there when he would present a prisoner that had been condemned and they could, they could let one of them go. He could present them all and they could let one of them go. He thought, sure, I know what, reading between the lines, it seems to me that he thought, well, surely they're going to want to let this man go. But they said, let him be crucified. And said, the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more saying, let him be crucified. And you know what Pilate did? Verse 24, when he saw that he could prevail nothing, but that a tumult rather was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. I'm sorry, Pilate, you're, you're not innocent. You're not innocent. 
You may try to be, and I've, I don't know the truth of this historical account, but supposedly, according to history, Pilate went around the rest of his life just uh, obsessively washing his hands and never could get over uh, this time in his life. But they answered all the people, then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. You know, Pilate told Jesus when he was questioning him over in the 19th chapter, about verse 10, he said, Don't you know that I have the power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? And of course, Jesus spoke up and said, You'd have no power at all if it hadn't been given to you from heaven. But Jesus, uh, Pilate, Pilate, at the end of this encounter with Jesus and then this encounter with the multitude, Pilate, who was the ultimate authority in that region in that day, he was the only one, he represented the Roman Empire, which were the only ones authorized to put people to death. At the end of his encounter, at the end of presenting him to these people, he believed that Jesus was finished. Because he took his water and tried to wash his hands clean. He knew he was innocent, but he just was going to do what the people wanted anyway. He just, Pilate believed he was finished. You know, we could go over to the 23rd chapter of Luke. You don't have to turn there this morning. You can read about the encounter between Jesus and Herod. You know, Pilate and Herod were enemies, personally. They didn't like each other. They weren't at war, but they didn't like each other. And when Pilate found out that Jesus had come from the area where Herod was, he said, well, let's just send him over to Herod. Let me, let me put this off on to Herod. And, and of course, Herod uh, uh, questioned him and he wouldn't answer him anything. And ultimately, you know what it says over there? Herod and his men set him at naught and mocked him and they put this robe upon him and they sent him back to Pilate. You know, I find it interesting that the very next verse says, from that very day, that same day, Herod and Pilate were made friends together. Beloved, if you want to unite the wicked men in the world, just stand on the things of God. They may be enemies in many ways, but they will unite against you and I when we stand on the things of God. We see that in our world today, don't we? Well, I guess maybe he had at least some of his disciples that, that stuck with him and stayed by his side. Surely, as much as he spent time with them and did these miracles and told them that he was going to be crucified, told them what was coming, I guess surely some of them, I know Judas betrayed him, but surely the rest of them stayed with him. Well, we won't turn there and read it, but you just turn a page or two back in your Bible and you're going to find a time when uh, Peter, the great apostle there, he told him, he said, Lord, I don't care if they all leave you. I won't forsake you. If I have to die with you, I'll stay with you. Just a few verses down, they all forsook him and fled. And you know the rest of the story about Peter. Peter didn't just flee from him. Peter denied him three times. When it was brought to him, when it was, he was out there outside the palace where Jesus was being, uh, uh, being scourged and tried illegally, I might add, and, uh, and he was sitting around those coals of fires that the world had burning there. And they started saying, you were with him, weren't you? No, I wasn't with him. 
Well, you talk just like him. Oh, no, it's not me. And finally, just to prove that he wasn't, he began to curse and to swear to prove that he was not one of Jesus' disciples. He then three times. He'd, and you know the funny thing about Peter? Jesus had already told him he was going to do that. Jesus told him he was going to do that. And he did it anyway. He said, oh, no, I'll never do that. <laughs> Does that sound familiar to anybody here? Sounds familiar to me. Jesus has told us that these tribulations are coming, these troubles are coming. He's told us we're going to be tempted. He's told us that we are weak and fallen creatures and we still do it anyway. I'm so thankful that the book of Luke tells us that when all that encounter, when that, uh, that exchange between Jesus and Peter was occurring, he looked at Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired thee to sift thee like wheat. But you know what the next phrase was? He said, but I have prayed for thee. You know, the, you know Peter was restored later on to, 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 to sweet fellowship with him and, and wrote some of the most important ver, uh, chapters and letters in the scripture and, and had a ministry that went, was so widespread in spreading uh, the gospel of the grace of God. But you know what his first step back on the road to restoration was? Is that Jesus Christ had already pay, uh, prayed for him before it ever happened. I, I take comfort in that, Brother Mackey. I believe the Lord prays for us. He intercedes for us before it ever happens, before we ever fall. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.